And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top Level Talk Podcast. I am your host, Harris Serino, alongside me, co-host Dan Kiley. Monday evening, it is a Monday evening, not a Tuesday evening, 7.30 here on the East Coast. Dan, how are you doing this Monday evening? I am tired, but I am going to power through. It's been two weeks since we've been uh, able to do a podcast, so we have a lot of making up to do to our audience, and hopefully somebody will join in and watch the show tonight. Absolutely. With that being said, Dan, um, before we hop in here, I just wanted to make the quick announcement. We will be staying live here at 730 at on Mondays at 730 p.m. Uh, here going forward until further notice. Uh, it just works better in the schedule without the uh, regular season and all that. Uh, the offseason is going to open up our schedule. So with that being said, every Monday here at 730, unless otherwise told, we'll be here live on the Top 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 podcast. So with that being said, Dan, let's go ahead and get right into our hot topics of the night. Kind of going with an outside look. Um, with the offseason, can't talk about Georgia forever. We can't talk about it all the time. So we're going to kind of expand. We're going to go back to what we are doing last offseason a little bit. Maybe not as expansive as we were last offseason. We're going to try and keep it a central focus, trying to keep a Georgia twist on things. But with that being said, hot topic number one, Dan, the XFL Football League's back. And with that being said, in a few weeks, we're going to have the USL back, USFL back. Is the XFL and the USFL Two spring football leagues trying to be successful going to do, do more good or more bad? Well, I think it has the potential to do bad. I mean, we've seen through the past years, you know, they've been trying to have a spring football season take off. And it's just been extremely difficult to get any type of traction. And we've seen leagues fold literally after two or three weeks of the season and then the ramifications of that uh, mishap happening where, you know, people aren't getting paid and all that stuff. We've seen the disaster of it. I don't know what the real reason is that a spring football season can't be successful. You would think as much as we love football, that it would be a no brainer. And I think that's all the people who have the money. They, they see that too. And they feel that way too. That It's a no brainer. Vince uh, McMahon, obviously with the WWE, is a programming mastermind. And I, I know there's a lot of other people that help him, but he's got a lot of those people involved in his leagues. The Rock, uh, pretty much everything he does is, is gold. So they're behind the XFL, and they decided to go away from all the gimmicks and stuff that they were going to do the first time and make it more football. And, I, you know, the one thing I always go back to is NFL Europe. NFL Europe was a really good product, and it was a great platform for guys to get some experience and be able to have some success and, and carry that over into the NFL. Brian Finneran, for example, played for the Bur- uh, the um, the Dragons. I don't know if they were Birmingham or the London Dragons. I don't know where they were at. But anyway, uh, if it's not for the NFL Europe, Brian Finneran never makes it to the NFL, and then he doesn't become the best wide receiver ever in uh, Madden with Mike Vick as the quarterback. I mean, that's crazy. Um but, yeah, I mean, putting the XFL against the USFL, two products that can't stand on their own, and then now they're going to go up against each other and split viewers, I just – I don't think that's a recipe for success. Um, you brought up a point on a conversation that we had earlier, and you can expound upon that if you want to, about maybe they should merge and, and put all those collective brain power together. But I, I, I am very hesitant to say that either one of these is going to be su- successful on their own, and then I'm even more – apt to say that they're going to fail now that they're competing against each other. It's just not very wise, but I mean, we, I would love to have a 
a successful spring season to be able to watch football because gosh knows uh, I'm always looking for an opportunity to watch football when I can. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to take a similar answer here. And I, 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 re- I don't think it is good for business. I know competition breeds success in some areas. And that's always like the saying, we need competition to keep some of these, you know, businesses and companies and, and leagues, uh, in, you know, successful, making sure that it is entertaining and they're putting the best product that they can out there. But I don't think it's the case here for the XFL in spring football. Spring football is something we don't have. Like, we don't have a professional spring football week. We have football in the fall, and that's it. I've, I've for one, never never really watched spring football. I, di- I, I didn't watch it. If you weren't – if it was on, wasn't the NFL or college football, after those two seasons were over, I didn't pay attention to the AAF. I didn't pay attention to the XFL when they tried to relaunch. I, I certainly saw highlights back in 2020. And, hey, looking back at the TV ratings when I, I went back to do the research, the XFL wasn't doing bad. Until COVID struck, the XFL was putting up some numbers. They they were generally pretty successful up until COVID struck and they had to shut it down. So I'm excited to see it back. I actually watched part of the game Sunday night. I believe it was San Antonio and I want to say Seattle. I want to say the game was uh, between the two games. Anyways, you know the the three point favorite was down 15 to three in the fourth quarter, and within the fourth quarter they had over 200 yards of offense and ended up winning 18 15. Crazy game. I like the innovation of the onside kick not really being the onside kick. It's now convert fourth and 15. Okay. That's, that's doable. You know, it's going to increase the score of games. It's also going to make it more entertaining. I like the innovation. They put it on the kickoff, having those teams five yards apart. It is something new. It's something different. It's something fresh. It may not be the best product out there. And Zach says, thank you for that. San Antonio and St. Louis. Yeah. It wasn't the best product, football product. I saw, I certainly saw AJ McCarron just, absolutely skyrocket a five-yard out route. I saw that. Everybody saw that. But it's entertaining none the least because we all want football. But I, I don't think competition's good. I don't want to see competition. I think, as Dan just said, I would like to see these two leagues merge. I'd like to see them work together, come together, and try to put the best product possible because you need all the money you can get to make this successful. I just looked it up right now on Google, Dan. It says the average player in the SFL would be estimated to earn about $60,000 from training camp through the end of the season. The SFL also has valued its benefits package as worth an additional $200,000 in addition to paying for housing and two meals a day during the season. That is courtesy of ESPN. Not that much money. It's certainly probably a little bit higher than I thought they would be making. I I, I don't know how much these players are making, uh, but it is good to see that they are getting a, a sustainable pay for playing football and also get some benefits and some from free meals. But with that being said, Dan. Well, hold on. You say it's not that much money. It's $60,000 for four months of worth of work. I mean, that's pretty damn good money. And, you know, the, well, a lot in of compare, guys, in compare, you know, in compare with the NFL, which is, it's never going to be as much. Right. But you're not in the NFL. You're looking yeah. for an opportunity to play football and you put $60,000 in your pocket. That's enough money to continue to train. I mean, that's not, I mean, we, I, people like, you know, say stuff about different types of money. People who make over $100,000 in this country is like, I don't know, like what, 5% of the population? Somewhere along those lines. So, somewhere, it's, it's not a lot. So, you know, there are plenty of people out there that would love to have an opportunity to make $60,000. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Oh, absolutely not. Um, I, yeah, and it's, I think it's, it's probably raised from where they started. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I haven't done that much research. But it's, I mean, hopefully it's, the, the big thing is, you would love to see this increase 
you'd love to see it be sustainable over long term and, and whether or not it's sustainable is going to come down to those broadcasting deals. How long are these broadcasting deals? How, how, how many views are they pulling in? But I think they have the right structure in place. You're going to have some money behind it. You have the right people behind it right now. I'm really excited, Dan. Plus they're on ESPN. I mean, not in a million years, I think ESPN was going to be recording some spring football. Uh, that's, content, that's amazing. My friend. Content. Absolutely. Content. So I, I'm excited. I, I, I'm going to be tuning in this weekend. But with that being said, hot topic number two, Dan. The NFL is trying to ban – is making some rule changes similar to the NCAA, which we're going to get to in a minute. They are they – are, we, we've all seen it. If you've watched the NFL, if you watch college – well, not really college football, but if you watch the NFL, you know the Philadelphia Eagles were elite, elite at more than one thing, but one thing in particular, QB sneaks. They must have been the best – short yardage situational team I've seen. I haven't seen a team that was as effective on short yard situations on fourth and one, fourth and inches, getting with QB sneaks. Their success rate was impressive. I don't know if I saw them go up for a QB sneak where they didn't get the first down, Dan. And with that said, the NFL wants to ban, as Dan calls it, the Bush push, and as many people call it, because obviously Bush uh, pushed Matt Leinart into the end zone, I believe, with the 2004 Notre Dame game between mm-hmm. USC. And it's definitely a hot topic today. So, Dan, do you want to see the Bush push eliminated? Or, like, where you stand on this rule? Well, here's my thing, and I'm going to take it from a completely different perspective. Is how, how, Why the hell is it legal? It was never legal. I don't know. Uh, all of a sudden, it just became like, okay, we're not going to throw the flag on that. It's called aiding the runner. You're not allowed to aid the runner. And it's in the rule books. It's always been there. I have no idea how it became okay to do it and now i mean basically they're not creating a new rule saying we want to eliminate the bush push or the the, you know aiding the runner or whatever you want to call it they're just going to start enforcing the rule again and i you know i'm kind of either way on it i understand why you don't want it and i understand why you do want it because I mean, the defensive line, right? The entire defensive line can push you backwards and you don't lose yardage, right? Like, it's wherever your momentum stops. So, if you're going to flip that around, the offensive line is starting to push the runner, then wouldn't conventional wisdom say that if the rule applies for defense, it's going to rule apply for offense, that wherever the line starts to push him forward is where he's down? So, I mean, that's I think that's the way that it was always written and that's the way it's supposed to be implemented. I don't know why it was allowed to begin with. So... I'm. I could go either way, but I, I think it needs to be eliminated because that's that's the intent of the rule. I mean, it, it, otherwise, if you're going to do that, then if the defense pushes them back, then they can push them back as far as that far as they want to. Because you know this game is so rigged for the offense to begin with that I mean that's just one more th- one more chip in the offense's favor. So I, I guess I'm for it. I kind of talked myself into it. Here, here's my thing, Dan. And I, I saw this in a reply, and this this guy was spot on with it. The reason they want to eliminate it is because we're seeing more points scored in the NFL, which means less punts, which means less commercials, aka TV timeouts, and it essentially comes down to less money altogether. Kind of like what we're about to talk about with the NCAA and their rule changes. They want their money. They want every single penny of that media rights deal that they get each year. They want every single dollar of it. More commercials means more money. ESPN made a astounding amount of money the night that DeMar Hamlin went down because of all the commercials. And, like, 
just just a tragic situation. But ESPN was able to run commercials throughout that, which to me didn't sit well with me. But at the same time, I understood why they did it because I mean we we didn't want to see what's going on in the field. They needed privacy in that moment and everything was going on down there. But also the people who were responsible for covering that situation, it's like, that's unprecedented. You could see everybody was touched that night. And it's like, they have no other choice but to kind of cut to commercial because everyone kind of needs that, that break. Well, I, I think you might want to check your sources on that because the commercial spots are sold. And you don't start running more commercials and then start charging people for running more commercials. That's not how it works. It's, I mean, I, in radio, you have your spots that are paid for. So TV is the same way. Your spots are paid for. If you need to fill in, you're going to start rerunning ads or you're going to start adding more ads, but you don't start charging people for those ads that they didn't pay for. So I don't know that they gained more revenue. They may, I, 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 I just don't see that being a realistic thing because, you know, we have injuries in our games and we have to fill time with commercials because you can't stand on the air for, you know, 35 minutes talking about the same thing. So I, I think you might want to check your sources on that. Um, but I, I don't think ESPN profited off of that injury. And I don't always stick up for ESPN. I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I don't think they profited more because they ran more commercials because they didn't, they didn't start calling people saying, Hey, listen, we got to fill spots and we want you to buy more spots on the fly. I just don't see how that would work. Def, yeah. So, I mean, with going back to the bush push, it, like Dan says, if it's if it's supposed if it's a rule already, why are we not enforcing it for the first place? So, I have no problem with it. Let's let's. I mean, if they want to crack down on, it, go ahead. I just want. I mean, to me, when you watch it, Dan, it is incredible to me how the Eagles just they're all whole offensive line, just the pad level all of them, <clears> their ability to be successful down in and down out because everybody knows it's coming. Well, that, that's fine. Knows. That's fine yeah. if their offensive line has great pad level and gets great push. That's that's fantastic. That's not against the rules. What's against the rules is having your tight ends behind him, picking them up and throwing them in the end zone. That's yeah. against the rules. Yeah. Yeah. So, I for me, doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, everybody likes less commercials, so – whatever oh, whatever God. works. I mean, we all – We're here we to that. Scoring. Yeah. So, with that being said, Dan – the NFL is not the only one changing rules. The NCAA is doing it too. And it, it's drawn some, I think, for the most part, people are upset. People don't like what they're doing. I think the intent of what they're trying to do, okay, yeah. You want to shorten games. Perfect, okay. Although I would like a lot more of college football. I would love for longer games because I don't mind sitting on the couch for five hours for a game, uh, especially if it's the team that we all support. But with that being said, uh, thanks to a report from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, yes, we all we all know now the NCAs kind of adding some new rules. No, they're not changing the quarter length, Dan. They're not changing the length of TV commercials, or for that matter, even lowering the number of TV timeouts. Instead, here are the rules. There are four new rule proposals, and it's important to state that Dellinger believes, from his sources, believe that only half of these may pass. Rule number one. NCAA wants to prevent consecutive timeouts, a.k.a. it's commonly used ice kickers. Number two rule. Yep. No longer extending a first or fourth quarter for an untimed down if a quarter ends on a defensive penalty. Instead, the down will be clocked the next quarter. Yeah. 
number three, the clock will run after an offense gains a first down, except inside the two minutes in each half, if I believe that is also an NFL rule. Uh, Maybe not. What? Clock will run on uh, after an offense gains a first down, except inside the two minutes of each half. No, NFL rules that it runs, period. Period. Runs, period? So, yeah. Run. Closer. Closer to the NFL. Uh, number four. Here's the big one, Dan. The clock will continue to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is spotted. That's bullshit. That's, yeah, that that's that's crazy. And essentially, I mean, essentially, we we see it. They want to be similar to the NFL. They want they want that product as close as they can to be in the NFL. Is this a good idea? Well, in some people's opinions, the people that look college football, not the NFL. No, they don't want to be like the NFL. They want to keep the way the way things are. I'm probably in that boat. Keep it the way things are. Keep it the way that you made special and you made a huge fan base out of all of us. But at the end of the day, they don't want to shorten these games. But well, they're doing well, it in all the wrong ways. All right, so let's Why? start with this right here. Okay, it says, I'm okay with the first three. Okay, Russ, Ross Dillinger said the first two are not controversial. Nobody complains about it, right? So nobody has an issue with the first two. I don't have a single issue with those. Number three is the one I have an issue. Well, obviously, number four is complete horseshit. And, like, there's no way that's going to pass. That's stupid. They estimate that doing number four, which would be allowing the, pass to, the clock to run on an incomplete pass, would minimize the game by 18 to 20 plays per game. That's pretty substantial. But number three, I hate this rule because uh, Jeremiah, Jonathan, if you're in here, you know because I bitch about it every single time we do an NFL podcast is because I hate that the clock runs while you're trying to set the chains. Like it, I'm okay with starting the clock as soon as the chains are set. No problem at all. I do not like that the clock runs on that. I, I think the clock should stop on a first down. Now they say by implementing this rule, uh, now, granted, the last two minutes of the ha each half, the clock would stop on a first down. I don't know why you would have two separate rules. Either have it one way or the other. Don't have two separate rules. I, I've always hated that. Um, but, you know, they said if you implement this rule, they went back and looked at the games, and, and they said it would minimize the game by about eight plays, right? So how much are you really speeding it up? And I just don't like the rule. I wish the NFL would stop the clock on first downs. But uh, clearly, I'm going to lose out on that. They said this one has actually got a lot of support. And the reason I put Jeremiah, his comment up there, I'm okay with the first three, is because most people don't have an issue with the clock running. Because most people are familiar with the NFL game and they're used to it, so it's not a big problem. Just for whatever reason, for me, it's always been a pet peeve of mine. It's been one of the rules that I absolutely hated, that the clock runs on a first down. Um, so... I would I I would I would protest that one because I just don't like it. Number four is just ridiculous. I mean, what are we trying to do? Uh, it, this is a great point by Jeremiah. Nobody complains with the length of a college football game. I've never sat there at a football game or any football game really and been like, this game is too long. I've never sat there and watched a Georgia game and go, God, I really wish this game was over. Unless you know, like we're trying to beat Alabama and I just need those time to run off the clock. That's a completely different situation. But I'm saying, like, I mean. We only get a handful of them anyway, and now they're saying that they're the reason that they're implementing these rules is because they're expanding the season, and now they want to limit the uh, the potential for their players to get hurt. It's like, you're so full of shit. You're adding games. You're making the season longer. You're trying to find every opportunity to get more money. If it was really about player safety, you wouldn't have added all those games. So it's, it's complete crap, and I – I don't know. I, I, I'm obviously the first two make complete sense. I don't have an issue with them at all. Number three, I don't like because I personally don't like it. 
Most people don't care. Number four, just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what, this is not peewee football. Come on. Dan, you, you did interesting stat search here, and you found it. I want you to – I didn't know this. I mean, the description is not that much, but talk about the average length in between these two games, between the <clears> NFL <throat> and, and college. So this was also in the article by Ross Dillinger at the very bottom if you made it to it. So the average length – okay, so a college football game um, was 3 minutes and 14 seconds, went up to 3 minutes and 18, 3 hours, 18 minutes. Then it was at 21 minutes, and then it went back to 18 and back up to 21. So last year the average length of a D1 college football game, Power 5 conference like the ones that are on TV, was 3 hours, 21 minutes. The average length of an NFL football game is 3 hours and 10 minutes. One of the biggest differences is a NFL halftime is 12 minutes and a college halftime is 20 minutes. So you can obviously make up all the time right there by shortening the halftime. Now, the one stat that they posted that I com- I call complete bullshit on, and I want your comments. In the comments, please tell me, do you believe this for one second? It says, the NCAA said it's not about commercials. The average length of a televised game with commercials is only two minutes longer than a game without television and without commercials. There's no way on earth that's possible. If you watch the Georgia-Georgia Tech game, those commercial breaks were like seven minutes long. Oh, my God, it was brutal. There's no way on earth that a non-televised game is only two minutes shorter. That's ridiculous. I tell you what, I think what makes it longer, maybe – Maybe they're right, but what makes it longer is when you have the cycle, the constant cycle, the same commercials over and over and over again. I will never forget sitting on, and it's not even on, I mean, I saw it on Saturdays occasionally, but it's really during the NFL season, the Burger King commercial over and over and over again. Just, you see it constantly, which to me, that makes it feel longer. And in grand scheme of things, shoot. (laughs) Yeah. And, and but at the end of the day, Dan. At the end of the day, why are they doing this? Because none of these rule changes that they are that they have proposed affect the money. Dan told us weeks ago, follow the money trail. That we, when you want to find out the intentions of any of these big businesses or the NCAA, follow the money trail. Well, the money trail says you don't touch TV timeouts. Don't touch them. Don't touch commercials. That's money that affects your revenue. But there are other ways, and the NCAA certainly found other ways to try and sh- shorten college football games. With that being said, Dan, big news on the Georgia front of things. I'm keen to hear your insight on this because, hey, it's been two weeks without the show, so we, we weren't, we're a little late on the Mike Bobo news. But here, you're going to get the top dog take on this one. As we all know by now, Tom Munkins, the new offensive coordinator for Baltimore Ravens. Congrats to him. He did a great job here at Georgia. We both wish him nothing but the best, and I think every Georgia fan wishes him nothing but the best. It, it would look – nothing would make these people happier than from Tom Munkin to go to the Ravens, find a lot of success, and maybe get an uh, NFL head coaching job. Would look great because he deserves it. He did a great job in Georgia. But within minutes, the offensive coordinator for Georgia, uh, his replacement, Mike Bobo, has instantly drawn diverse – Mixed reactions. Dan, what do you say about this Mike Bobo hire? There are people who hate it. There are people who like it. Uh, very similar to George's quarterback situation for the last two seasons. What do you say, Dan? Well, to talk about this transition, you have to go back to the very beginning when, you know, there there was an article written a long time ago when none of them were head coaches that whoever was the first head coach was going to hire the other two to be their coordinators. Now, granted, it didn't play out that way. 
But then when Georgia got when Kirby got the job here, everything kind of fell into place. And now their childhood fantasy has lived out that they're all on the same coaching staff together. Kirby's the head coach. Must is the defensive coordinator, air quotes, because we know he's co-defensive coordinator, but what have you. And then now Bobo's offensive coordinator. So if you didn't see this coming, then you're blind. And I'm taking a wait and see approach. And I and I I I text this to our little group chat that we have, and I and I asked, is this fair? Because I have a tendency to have an opinion one way or another, and it's usually a strong opinion. However, with Bobo in particular, I was never in the camp of fire Bobo. That was, I mean, obviously it was a joke and you used that punchline in uh, the, or the Mark Richt has lost control of this program. One of those two punchlines when something went wrong, a lot of times it didn't have anything to do with anything like, you know, Tulane could be playing uh, Mississippi state and there's an incomplete pass and somebody would say fire Bobo. I mean, it just became a punchline and a joke, but Bobo did a pretty decent job here. Now, granted, were there some situations where it, it wasn't great? Okay, that's fine, but I dare you to go find any coordinator in any sport and, and tell me that everything's been perfect. It's not been. The reason I'm saying I'm going to take a wait and see is because, he, first of all, he's a good football coach, okay? And I, I have faith that Kirby is not going to surround himself with people who can't get the job done. I mean, if we've seen one thing with Kirby is the most important thing to him is winning, and he's going to do whatever it takes to win. Whether it's popular or not popular, he's going to do it. And I do think he has a great relationship with both of these guys. And I do know in some circumstances, your friendship can cloud your mind and, and force you to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. However, Bobo does have a track record and it's pretty good. But the only reason I'm taking a wait and see and not being all really happy about it is because the game has changed incrementally since the last time that he was here. Now, we know at Alabama, Nick Saban has taken the approach where you're the new guy. All these other guys know what's going on. We're not going to change everything that we're doing for all the people that already know what's going on for the one person that's new. So the new person has to come in and make himself fit. We kind of see, saw that with the defense, even though it's kind of changed hands a little bit. The defense didn't really look that much different. Um, obviously, opinions are coming in and, and thoughts, and, and Kirby has done a great job, and his staff has done a great job of melding all those opportunity or ideas together to put out a product. If if the directive to Mike Bobo is we want you to come in here and continue what we've been doing, obviously you can put your little wrinkle on it here and there, but we don't really want to change a lot of what we're doing and we want to continue the system. So that's where my wait and see comes into play where one, is that what they're going to allow him to do is cover what they're going to ask him to do is basically keep this train on the tracks and not screw it up. And then the second part of that is, is that something that Bobo is capable of doing? I believe the answer to that is yes, but you have to see it. It has to show up on the field. And, you know, I, I think with a transition with a quarterback, um, there's, it's, it's just a – there's a lot of moving parts with this. I think Bobo is actually a safe hire because he's been in the building. I don't think it's going to be drastic. I don't think he's going to do anything radical. I don't think he's that dumb. I think he understands what they have is working. Um, I think he's going to be able to come in and do a pretty good job at doing it but I do want to take a wait and see. I want to see how it looks. There's a very good chance that it doesn't look any different at all. And I think that's what we should hope for is that it doesn't look very different. And he's able to continue on what we're doing because what we're doing right now has been very, very successful. My main thing is with anything where 
the, the assumption in from from outside looking into the building is Bobo's going to come in here, as Dan said, and he's going to run Munkin's stuff. It is Munkin has handed over the keys to the Corvette to Bobo, and Bobo's going to run the same thing Munkin did. And the only transition is there's going to be a new voice in the room. That's it. It's a new voice in the room and a new driver. You don't have a new car. You don't have a new steering wheel. It's just the driver. That's the driver. And we've seen how that was worked out for Kirby Smart in the past. He tried to do something similar with Jim Chaney to James Coley. That didn't work out. We're even seeing now at Bama when they went from Lane Kiffin, or not Lane, excuse me, Steve Sarkeesian to Brian, uh, Bill O'Brien. That didn't quite work out. Things weren't quite the same. Now, here's the point. Here's the differences. I don't think what Bill O'Brien did, he is a great offensive mind in his own right. When compared to Steve Sarkeesian, those two are some of the best offensive lines in football. But I think for me, what, what, where Alabama failed, and I don't think Bill O'Brien failed. I don't think the system failed. I think the pieces, the, the, the attrition on the coaching staff can all fall apart. That attrition caught up to Nick Saban. After years of not, you know, of it no longer affecting them, looking like it just didn't affect them. I think it started to affect them because you saw kind of the difference in their plays over these last two years. The defense never quite really looked the same. Heck, their stats look great. They, they, they didn't let up more than 20 points a game while averaging 40 points a game on offense. That's great. Looks great. But when you go watch the product back, it didn't look the same. It didn't look the same from on offense from Bill O'Brien to C. Sarkeesian. I really think that can kind of be blamed on a drop-off and talent development in coaching. Not really Bill O'Brien's fault. I don't think it's all his fault. So, as Dan said, we're going to have to wait and see because Georgia's having that coaching tradition that or, or a similar rate to what Alabama's felt over the last 10 years. Even even Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. Dabo, for, for years, didn't lose a single coaching staff member. Had a great, great retention rate. And once a few, few wheels, few wheels got changed, Kind of fell off, fell off the face of the earth as we've seen over these last few years. So I, I think, like Dan said, it is a safe hire, and I don't think much will change. Maybe some tendencies change here. I don't know. Uh, you know, going into a new system, going into a system that Bobo is not quite Bobo's. Hey, maybe that even eliminates his tendencies. Maybe he has something new, uh, bring something new to the table that we just haven't seen from him in the past. But no, uh, full disclaimer, Dan, for everybody out there that hates Bobo because of what Georgia was in the 2010s, he's not bringing back the fullback. Georgia is not going to go under the center and run I formation and run freaking, you know, we're going to run Todd Gurley over you because shit, we can do it. No, that's not going to happen. We're not going to bring back the fullback. I, I, you say that, I, I, I'd be willing to bet you that the fullback makes an appearance. I'd be willing to bet you I formation pro set makes an appearance. Um, listen, that's in his DNA. I'm not saying he's going to that, but I, if you don't think you're going to see it ever, you're out your damn mind. <laughs> hey, I mean, unless it's, I mean, shoot. I won't you were playing for a hot take. With, I'm with Jordan come. Davis. What I wouldn't mind seeing it with a Jordan Davis defense tackle, man. I, I shoot, I'm surprised we didn't get Jalen Carter a touchdown like we did Jordan Davis. Like, how did that never happen, Dan? Um, yeah, never say never, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a rookie mistake on my part, Dan. But Dan, I, I want to go to these stats, it kind of blew my mind. I sent it to the, sent it to the chat and shout out to Trent Smallwood for digging up these stats and posted on Twitter. You can go follow him on Twitter. Uh, his name is Trent Smallwood in 2012. 
through 2014. Well, hold on. Arguably, I. Before you start this, I have to say I'm very disappointed that Jonathan didn't post that because he is our resident stat guy. So, fail, Jonathan. <laughs> and twenty is it fair to say 2012 through 2014 is probably the best stretch Bobo had as a coordinator, statistically speaking? Well, that's what the numbers say. Georgia averaged 40 points per game. From 2012 to 2014, 40 points per game. Munkin averaged 41 this past year. 38.6 in 2021. What's the difference between these two? Well, shoot, there is a major difference on the other side of the ball. Georgia allowed 29 points per game in 2013. 29. I mm, And 20.7 points per game in 2014. There's been two times in Kirby Smart's uh, tenure as a head coach that his defense has allowed over 20 points per game. One was his first year where they allowed 24.4 points per game in 2016. And they allowed just at 20 points per game in 2020, a COVID-shortened season. That blew my mind. Georgia damn near allowed 30 points per game under Mike Bobo. And Russ, I've seen Russell Manziel say it on Twitter right after the hire. What is he going to look like? How is he going to change with an offense where he doesn't have to feel like he has to score every possession? Because that pressure certainly looks, from, from on paper perspective, shoot, I see the pressure. I see that pressure. Wanting to get that home run whether it's from Aaron Murray passing it or Todd Gurley, Keith Marshall having to run the football, get you a home run. Heck, I I see it. Tom Monkey never had that pressure. Any offensive coordinator in Kirby Smart has not had that pressure of, hey, we got to score almost every time we get the ball. Otherwise, we're not going to win. So let me put that out there for everybody, that it's two drastically different situations. This is not going to be similar to his stint at, South Carolina or Auburn. I, I've seen the South Carolina stuff thrown in my face all week long. I saw it on a tweet Snyder put out on Twitter last week talking about his South Carolina uh, job where he had one year. Well, people don't want to talk about it. He took the job in 2020. What happened in 2020? COVID hit. Whole different year. Whole new ball game. Everything was on Zoom. No spring practice. All Bobo had time for was to install whatever part of his offense through Zoom, and the limited time face-to-face in the fall, and that was it. Plus, not to mention, that wasn't a very good roster. He's going to have a full offseason, God willing, to install, you know, to improve on Monk and system. It is no- nothing's changing other than the guy upstairs. So with that being said, Dan, that's kind of going to close out for the Georgia part of today's show. We wanted to get into kind of a new segment. I texted Dan about it, and we're going to call it the Top Dog Take. Because we're going to give you our opinion on whatever we want, kind of stories. And the one story that caught our attention, and and Dan brought it up to me over the weekend, is the offensive coordinating search at Notre Dame. So, Dan, I'm going to let you take it away uh, to kind of introduce it and and to get us kicked off with your take on the whole situation. So the situation was, and I don't have the names off the top of my head because I wasn't 100% prepared for this, but it's Notre Dame, uh, Tommy Reese obviously left to go to Alabama and take that job. So Notre Dame wanted to hire the Washington State offensive coordinator. So they brought him into town for a uh, a hockey game. They wind him, dined him, fed him, did all that stuff. They had a great time, and uh, Coach Freeman wanted to make that hire. However, the university didn't want to pay uh, his buyout and the salary that he would be required. So they forced him to move on, and he ended up promoting his tight end coach to the offensive coordinator job. Now, the reason that this story grabbed my attention is, one, because that would never happen in the SEC, that a coach told, is told he can't 
uh, hire a coach because they don't have the money. But then the thing that really jumps out to me is Notre Dame has been a program that has more money than anybody else for the longest time. So now you're telling me that money is an issue at Notre Dame. I, I, I never thought I would live to see the day where that was an actual situation where a coach can't hire the guy that he wants because the university won't pay. I mean, what is this Georgia tech? I, that's, that's why it, uh, that, that story jumped out to me. And uh, I, I want to hear your take on it, Harrison, because I just, I couldn't believe that Notre Dame would tell a head coach that he couldn't hire somebody because they didn't want to pay the money. Just never thought I'd see that day. Sorry, was was messing with the technical difficulties on that one. Delayed. But, yeah, it, it is shocking. And I tried to get clever here, Dan. No money, true dame. Uh, it, it's shocking. It's like, how, how can you send a message to not only your coach, the football team, but even recruits of saying, hey, we back this guy. We back Marcus Freeman. We have 100% confidence in Marcus Freeman when you're not even willing to – flash the cash to go get his guy the guy he took to a basketball game the guy he was seen in public with trying to totally convince him to come over to Notre Dame and be the offense coordinator and I I, I did I, I just pulled it up Colin Klein was the guy that he was trying to get Colin Klein and Utah offense corner Andy Andy Ludwig were the two like candidates they wanted and struck out on both and ends up going for his tight end coach kind of embarrassing embarrassing for not only Marcus Freeman, but embarrassing for Notre Dame as a whole that he doesn't even have the money to go get his coaches. How is he supposed to succeed without money? Notre Dame's already at a disadvantage when compared to everybody else. They don't have the recruiting prowess that everybody else does. You go look at the Southeast, how much everyone spends on recruiting. It is outlandish. It is a lot of money. And I'm, 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 I'm promise. Haven't looked at the actual numbers, but Notre Dame probably doesn't spend half of what Georgia spends on the recruiting budgets. Probably doesn't spend half of what Tennessee plays. Well, Tennessee is a top five program. Time out. When it comes to the number, budgets. the number two team in recruiting this year spent half of what Georgia did. So yeah, there goes your whole half thing. So yeah, the team who was second in recruiting budget spent, <laughs> yeah, spent half. That was, um, who was it? Uh, uh, Vern Funquist, uh, What's his name? Mahler. He's the one that tweeted that. He said, uh, Georgia spends that much money just to come in second every year in recruiting. But um, you know what? Uh, the the best response was, we spend that much to win back-to-back national championships, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I just – I can't wrap my head around it at, at all, Dan. It, it's kind of outlandish to me. I would understand it if he was at a mid-major or a G5 school where budget – and money's probably a problem, but Notre Dame, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you personally, you grew up watching Notre Dame. My grandfather I, played I football in Notre Dame. Dame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my grandfather played football in Notre Dame. I was a Notre Dame fan. I grew up a Notre Dame fan. Like, well, I was born in Chicago, and we lived not far from. I mean, if you know anything about where Notre Dame is, it's right across the street, basically. And I grew up a Notre Dame fan. Went to Notre Dame. My grandfather's name is inside of their athletic facility on the ceiling. They have the name of all the players that have played football at Notre Dame. His name is on there. And when my grandfather died, I got a handwritten letter from Lou Holtz. Um, not to me personally, it was to my father, um, you know, saying that, um, you know, just wishing his condolences. So, yeah, I grew up a Notre Dame fan. I was a huge Notre Dame fan. And then when I moved down here, uh, obviously – 
I got indoctrinated into the ways of the dog. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Notre Dame fan and, um, man, it was, it was a proud program and they travel like nobody. Like I remember as a little kid going, uh, to road games from Notre Dame and they had this big rig that would go from location to location. It was basically a traveling bookstore before I even knew what a bookstore was like, George's bookstore is amazing, right? You go to George's bookstore, you can buy anything. Anything that's Nike branded, that's in creation, they have it. Like, you can find anything in the Georgia bookstore just about. And imagine that, but mobile. And that's what Notre Dame had. Um, they they about ruined the program when they switched to Adidas. I'll tell you that right now. That's completely off the subject. But when they switched to Adidas, they about ruined the program. That was the ugliest shit I've ever seen in my life. Um, and it was just hideous. It, but whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. A proud program. They've had money. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest issues is a lot of the donors, a lot of the boosters, a lot of the people that poured a lot of money into that uh, program are dying off. And I know that sounds horrible to say, but it's true. A lot of the proud um, alumni are passing away, my grandfather being one of them. So, uh, and that's been a long time ago, but, um, you know, it's just, it's, you know, when, when I grew up, it, it was Notre Dame and there's nobody else. And it's just not that way anymore. Dan, I just pull, I, I got a Twitter notification from you that you're back on Twitter, so I want to congratulate I'm you. Back, well bitches! Back, <laughs> oh, I'll, uh, go ahead. I will take two seconds to say, screw you to Twitter. I got banned on Twitter, or I got suspended on Twitter because one of the running backs in our high school program ran the 100, and he posted a time that he didn't like. And I said, hey, I need you to run that 10-2, which you all know is like world-class sprinter speed, right? Like, it, it, it was like over a full second less. And he says, he says, Coach, I'm going to get that next time. I said, well, you better drink some rocket fuel. I got banned for promoting suicide because I told the kid to drink rocket fuel. You've got to be out of your mind, Twitter. So, double barrel, Johnny Estrada to you, Twitter. I'm back! And if I remember correctly, because um, I've heard the Rocky Field phrase before, it's like, I, I believe it was a, somebody called it um, back in the day when they were playing football, they would concoct a concoction of Pedialyte and I believe it was water, just put it together and make Rocky Field. Maybe it was some other ingredient that I'm forgetting, uh, but it was Rocket Fuel, and, and that's what they did. Great hydration, great great stuff like that, and gets you the vitamins you need. I don't remember exactly i'm not a big p light fan never have never will be uh but because you've not been hung i don't over. drink it <laughs> um, is a but, lifesaver when you're hung over hey maybe it is maybe we'll find out but with that being said dan anything else before we wrap it up no i think we had a pretty uh pretty good show this one flew by, guys. Uh, but with that being said, guys, we're going to wrap it up for today. Make sure to go follow Dan on Twitter. Blow up his mentions before he is gone again because uh, we <laughs> don't know when that's going to be. Uh, but with that being said, go follow Dan at DanKiley3. Yeah. Follow Jonathan me says at I'm gonna Nurse Arena. Again. <laughs> but with that being said guys shout out to the classic city podcast shout out to the ggg podcast our good friends over there on both those shows shout out to zachary moss roots anybody else that's in the comments section if i miss you i'm sorry uh like i said earlier guys monday 7 30 from here on out uh do some schedule changes we're gonna be here every monday talking some georgia football heck i don't know maybe me and dan get wild Wait. and talk some sfl jonathan jeremiah king of the hill pedialyte gatorade what is it come on it's got to be a King of the Hill segment. You guys are experienced. 
veterans. Hey, I'll be there Wednesday. I believe they go eight live at eight. If they're going. With that being said, Dan, 